Hey, just real quick, if you're in Australia and still have old analog clocks, it's time to upgrade so that your swimmers can see the clock. The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is now available in Oz. They're distributed by Tim Lane in Brisbane, and I've got a special deal for you. Just email him at tim at swimnerd.com, tell him Brett Hawk sent you, and get yours today for just $7.99 Aussie dollars. So email tim at swimnerd.com and order your Swim Nerd Pace Clocks today. What's up, Ariana Vanderpoolis? How you doing? Fantastic. I'm living the dream. What is the dream? What is this dream you're living? I'm living a nightmare. No. Um, well, if you if you believe in happiness, you achieve happiness. So you've got to put it out there in the world, and you'll live it. I don't know. <laughs> That's fair enough. What are you doing these days? Um, working for Arena. Um, so still the Southeast marketing rep. So if anybody out there needs product. Holla at your girl. Um, not traveling at all, not yet, but hopefully starting towards the end of the month. Visiting teams again, but obviously the South is not doing a great job in <laughs> battling this pandemic. So who knows? Oh, really? So you're not even driving to, to teams? Um, not yet. My first event would be like end of August if I go. It's, I mean, I think it's not necessary right now. So it's probably safer for me to just stay at home at the moment. Yeah. Well, listen, I get a lot of people begging me to have more women on the podcast. They, they want to, they want to hear from the girls, you know, so this is your chance to speak for the ladies. We're the best. <laughs> women are better. Boys are. stink. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They are good. So uh, this is your chance to represent here. I'm, I'm trying to get more ladies on. So if you, if you give me a really good podcast, it'll encourage others to do, do the same. So um, on. yeah. So I, you know, we, we need to get to know you. We need to figure you out a little bit, but um, one of the things I'll say is when I was lucky enough, when you invited me to, to come and represent the Bahamas on the Olympic team in 2012 as your, your coach. Um, one of the things that stood out, quickly um was that everybody in the bahamas runs nobody swims ariana <laughs> like there was i think there was 27 total athletes on the bahamas olympic team out of all the sports it could possibly represent 26 of them were track runners and there was one swimmer which was you so what the hell happened to you why didn't you buy into the <laughs> why didn't you buy into the track methodology because i have two left feet so anything on land is impossible to me um no I don't, I mean, my mom swam. Um, my dad did track. My brother does track and soccer. Um, I've tried those didn't work out for me. I think, um, part of the problem in the Bahamas is, and I think it's usually a discussion that's had like in the black community as a whole is your parents don't know how to swim. So they don't teach you how to swim. And it's just like an ongoing, um, circle of nobody learning how to swim. And then they're afraid to take you to the pool cause they can't save you. So um, definitely more important in the Bahamas to get people in the pool. Um, it's really sad when you hear about, uh, people going to the beach in the Bahamas and drowning cause nobody there can save them. So it's a huge push. I know, um, several people are working on. It's very strange because you're literally surrounded by water. It's everywhere. And, and where I, I grew up in Australia and we're an Island as well. And we're surrounded by water. We're just a huge Island. You guys are this tiny, uh, well, many islands, but, but nobody can really swim on these islands. It just astounds me. Yeah. I mean, it's just 
the lack of available education to teach people how to swim. Um, I know that the Knowles family, so Jeremy Knowles, he was an Olympian, swam at Auburn. Um, his family, his mom and dad have coached for years and they just left the club swimming arena and started doing really teaching um, inner city kids and kids that are kind of in public school that would never get an opportunity to learn how to swim, how to swim. So um, I have a lot of respect for them for doing that because a lot of people don't do it because there's not money in that generally. You're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. So um, I think it's definitely needed that more people kind of feed into that education. Is there, I'm asking you, I don't know this for sure. Is there a belief within the black community that black kids can't swim? Um, I think in the U.S. there is. I think in the Bahamas, it's not really so much as black kids can't swim. It's just so much as like, we don't know how. Um, it's not really a color thing. I, hmm. I, um, had this, I've had this discussion with so many people. And I, growing up in the Bahamas, I had no idea that that was a thing, that black people couldn't swim. It was more of like a um, socioeconomic thing in the Bahamas. Um, people that just don't have the money to get into a pool to educate their kids tend to not try and search out for those things. So um, it definitely is a thing in America for sure that people just assume black people can't swim, uh, which is unfortunate because that's not true. Um, I mean, you can look at Simone Manuel, Cullen Jones, Maritza Karaya, Sabir Muhammad, like Leah Neal, I could keep going. There's so many um, black swimmers in America that have done phenomenal things. So Mm, it's a yeah. sad rumor it is what about this other rumor that i hear that uh it's because of like the bone density or something of black people they're heavier in the water they sink i mean what's that um i mean i'm no scientist i have heard that that's not necessarily true it's not a bone density thing um from what i've learned it's a um black people tend to have more fast twitch muscles that are denser than slow twitch fibers mm. and that's why it's 10 i don't know if that's true that's what i've heard i have heard the bone density thing and i've heard that that's not true everybody's yeah. bones are the same density so <laughs> yeah i would i think so too and, and i think that it's just there's just myths out there that need to be busted and and like you said there are many examples of of incredible uh, black athletes that can swim exceptionally fast and i think i think it's a shame that we don't have a situation where more uh, black kids are, are able to get in pools because I think that they would dominate, honestly, yeah. um, you know, it'd be incredible. So how did you get into the pool? Um, my mom swam growing up. Um, and so I remember the day she took me and my brother to swim or like first swim practice. Um, and I just loved it, lived for it. It was me, my brother and my two cousins. And I'm pretty sure the three of them were like, get us out of here. We don't like it. And I was like, do, 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 playing around, <laughs> um, loving it. I, I think there's something special about being underwater, the silence that you hear when you're underwater. Um, I've always loved that since I've retired from swimming. That's probably the biggest thing that I miss. So yeah, my mom um, got me into swimming. My parents always told me that we were going to be some sort of athlete. I think it's great for kids to do something outside of school. It teaches you a ton. Um, and so I tried track. I was okay at it, but not nowhere close to how I enjoyed swimming and training for swimming. Were there many, uh, other black kids in, in your swimming team or group at that time? I would say it was like 90% black and then 10% 
other. <laughs> okay. And so then what happened? Uh, I mean, obviously you kicked on. Did, did those people just drop off over time? Yeah. Um, there's just, it's, it's harder in the Bahamas because we don't have um, like the university system that you can go into and continue to swim. Um, it's a little bit harder to matriculate or move into the U S swimming system when coaches don't really see your time. So mm. A lot of kids just don't really see that as an opportunity. Um, and so they just end up quitting. I mean, there's so many swimmers that I know of from the Bahamas that probably could have been way faster than me that just didn't want to keep doing it. And they have gone on to be great um, professionals in their whatever aspects. But it's, it is sad, the number of swimmers that I've seen that just don't want to do it anymore. They turn 15 and they start thinking school is going to be a better opportunity to get a scholarship. So they work harder in the classroom, which isn't a bad thing. It's just, um, I think you, there's room to do both and people just don't really see that as an, as available to them. So were you dominating from the get go in the Bahamas, like from your oh. age group? <laughs> um, yes and no. I, for the Bahamas, I was, um, I think I held like most of the age group records, all of which have basically been broken at this point. Um, but in because it's like kind of a small pond. There's not a lot of swimmers in the Bahamas. I don't know the exact number, but I would say there's probably less than um, 200 people swimming in the Bahamas of a country of 300 to 400,000 people. Mm. Um, and so we would go to like Caribbean uh, age group meets and we would go to um, Central American meets. And that's when you really see how small of a pond the Bahamas can be. And that's when we started to get our butts kicked and was like, okay, I guess we're not really as good as we thought we could be. Um, and then going to boarding school at Bowles, I really <laughs> learned how slow I was. Well, I was going to say that. How'd you get from the Bahamas to the Bowles school in Florida? Um, it's actually a kind of a funny story. I was not planning on swimming at all. So I kind of got to the point in my swimming career where I was like, ah, over it. I'm just going to keep going to school and maybe get a scholarship somewhere for school um and in the bahamas you graduate earlier because we're on the british um schedule mm -hmm. so we start school a year earlier than americans do so <clears throat> i was going to go to um canada boarding school with my brother my dad was making him do another year because he was 17 when he graduated high school in the bahamas so we went to the canadian boarding school we get there and i was like there's no way i'm going to live in canada it's way too cold up here so my parents were like okay well let's look at a different school for you and i think maybe a week before bowls started i applied randomly to bowls i was like oh they have a good swim program i guess i'll try it for another year and see and that's kind of how it happened one week um i remember we drove down to visit uh, or we drove up from miami to visit bowls and that was the week that Katrina hit Florida and then went on to hit New Orleans. And um, so we're like driving up through Katrina and it wasn't super bad going through Florida. So I remember being in a van with my mom, just terrified. <laughs> Good times. Did you get a scholarship to swim at balls or did you have to pay full price? Oh no, I paid full price. I was slow AF. <laughs> I was, if you ask anybody that trained with me the first couple months at bowls, they would have told you that they thought that I was going to start drowning probably. Well, the, the reason why I asked that is because, you know, I'm sure many uh, kids in the Bahamas would like the opportunity that, that you had, you know, to where your parents could afford for you to go to bowls, but they, 
are we losing talent because of situations like that where there's some talent but they just don't have the means to you know get uh you know opportunities like you had yeah absolutely i mean i very blessed i tell my dad thank you all the time for paying basically what ended up being a pub, mm. private school private college for me to go to bowls um mm. so it i think we lose a ton of talent um not just in the bahamas but i think in a lot of places just people not being able to afford to go on and do stuff like that um i for 100 know that if i didn't go to bowls my career would have looked different if I had one at all. So yeah. um, I, I think that there, there needs to be more opportunities for kids to be able to see stuff like that. Um, I don't know if bowls offer scholarships, not for athletics anyway, they might do um, some financial aid or something. Yeah. But I'm not sure. But, and I think that that's probably why track is so big in the Bahamas. It's not that expensive. You can just go out and train anywhere really so um that's kind of where the diversions i think happens it's just like it's way cheaper to be in track than it is in swimming or any other sport well then you you have the fortune of meeting up with the man that we love uh sergio lopez and and spending (laughs) spending years with him um what was that experience like um so sergio actually was only my coach my senior year i had the I had the um, benefit of having three different coaches for the three years I was at Bulls. I had um, Jeff Papel, who's now at Florida, mm-hmm. Rick Bishop, who's at Michigan, and then Sergio, who is at Virginia Tech, was okay. at Auburn. Um, so I think I had three great coaches. All three had very different coaching styles, which I think benefited me because I learned a lot about swimming and um, learning how to train in different ways and be kind of nimble and willing to move. I remember, um, I loved Rick Bishop. I loved his training style. He very much was the first person that ever coached me to do quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember when he left and Sergio was coming in, I was like, this is gonna be awful. This is my senior year. I'm trying to get scholarships to go places. I don't know if this guy is going to do anything. And then I qualified for my first Olympic games under him. So <laughs> I think he did a good job. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. We know that. Um, it, it's it's known for its men uh, around that time. You know, we, we think of kind of um, the the superstars that were at bowls uh, that have come through bowls even, you know, at that time. So it's not really known for its women. Um, who, who, who was in your group around the time that you were there? Um, so I was like the era before those those boys really went through um, men, I should say. Um, so for me, it was like, we had um, great swimmers that went on to swim in college level um, mm-hmm. at SEC schools mostly, but there, I don't, I can't, I know. I mean, Caitlin Geary went on to swim at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Coral Lopez. She swam at Florida. Um, Sean Frazier swam at Florida. Um, there was like quite a few swimmers that ended up being great swimmers um, in their own regards, but we didn't have like the Caleb Dressel, um, uh why can't i think of anybody else ryan murphy joseph Joseph schooling ryan murphy um they all came in after us yeah okay all right cool cool so so did you go to the olympics before your freshman year in college i did so 2008 was my first olympics um so i 
literally flew back from Beijing and went straight to Auburn, landed in Atlanta airport and went straight to Auburn. So that was fun. <laughs> so how was your Olympic experience? I know I, I was looking it up. You finished 28th in the hundred freestyle and 24th in the 50. You went 55, six in the hundred and you went 25, four in the 50. Um, what was that like? Um, honestly, going into the, that Olympics, I was, I was in it for the experience. Um, no Bahamian swimmer had ever semi-finaled or finaled at the Olympics. So I was pretty happy with my finishes. The, I think those were best times for me at the time. So um, I'm pretty sure like I had never been under, when I qualified for the Olympics, February of 2008, I went a 57-1. And then that summer I went 55. So um, it was way faster than I thought I was going to ever be capable of. Um, I remember before my 50 freestyle, I could not find my goggles for the life of me, which is such a rookie mistake. So I had to like run around and find somebody to lend me a pair of goggles because I didn't have a backup pair. Um, so it was really just like taking it all in, enjoying my first big meet. I had been to a world championships. Oh no, I hadn't been to a world championships before that. So like the Olympics was my first experience in any of that nature. So it was a well, yeah. big experience. You end up coming to Auburn and swimming for me and being one of the most competitive people I've ever met. <laughs> so at that point in time, were you disappointed with your results? How were you approaching that Olympics or how did, and what was the outcome of that Olympics for you? Um, I wouldn't say that I was disappointed. I think um, <clears throat> going in, I, I, I had no expectations. I just wanted to swim fast. And so um seeing where I did finish, I was like, oh man, I'm so close to making a semifinal. Obviously not that close. I wasn't, I think I was probably like a second and a half off of it, but in my brain, I was like, I'm still, that's a possibility. It's not like that obscure that I'm going to be able to do that. So um, I think it fueled my fire to become a better swimmer, even going into the 2008 Olympics. Um, being recruited by Auburn, I didn't think I was anywhere near the caliber of Auburn swimmer that uh, would ever be competitive. Um, I went on recruiting trips to other places and I had coaches tell me that I was never going to actually compete for their team. So um, I went into Auburn thinking I was going to be low man on the totem pole. Um, I'd be happy if I ever even got to be on the SEC team. I just wanted to work my butt off and get there. So um, I think like my 2008 person to 2012 were like, two different athletes yeah why did you end up picking auburn like uh, as a as a black as a young black woman and the history of, of alabama you know when i when i said to my parents hey i'm gonna go live in alabama they're like are you crazy and i'm i'm a white guy you know so like what are your parents thinking when you decide to go live in alabama um so on my when I went on my recruiting trip, everybody was like, "What are you doing?" But there was two Bahamians that had gone to Auburn before me, Jeremy Knowles, and then Alana Delette, who was still there at the time. Um, and I felt so comfortable when I got to Auburn. I didn't. I never once had an experience where I was felt like I was in Alabama. I think Auburn is a really cool town that I kind of think it feels insulated. Granted, I've only ever been to like Birmingham, Alabama, so my idea of Alabama is pretty normal. Um, but I do remember uh, my friends being like, are you insane? Are, you're going to school in Alabama as a black girl. You're crazy. And I never once had a bad experience in Auburn. Um, mm. I loved it. My recruiting trip, um, I'm pretty sure I like fell asleep during practice. So I don't think anybody thought I was actually going to commit there. But it was my favorite out of every trip I took. Um, they say when you take your recruiting trip, you just know. And I just knew as soon as I went. Yeah, well, you had a, a little bit of time with Richard Quick, 
as the head coach, right? Um, what was your experience like with him in just that short amount of time that you had with him? I, uh, when I was growing up, I remember watching his videos and thinking he was the coolest guy ever. And that was kind of what spurred me to pick Auburn too, was after my high school state meet, um, I got a voicemail from Richard Quick saying, hey, Ariana, I know you took a trip here. We'd still love for you to come up um, looking forward to hearing from you. And that was like a pinnacle of my life. I never in my life thought that he would call me. Um, so that first year having him coach us, I the things that he, we would do with him, sometimes I was like, I might die, but we're going to do it. And um, <laughs> I think that the like stuff like that is what makes you a better athlete. The sets that he would give us sometimes, I remember – one time after coming out of a PK dry land, which we already got our butts kicked and then um, going into the pool and we were doing 25s all out underwater on a descending interval. And I remember <laughs> goggles filled with tears, touching the wall. You literally had time to touch the wall, take a breath and you were pushing back off and going underwater. Um, and I vividly remember Richard being on the sidelines, like you've got to do it or we're going to start over. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. And that's, I mean, that stuff is what makes you a stronger swimmer, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know uh, I'm going to look at your career at Auburn just briefly in terms of two parts. Cause uh, it kind of goes in two parts. So like, I'm going to group the freshman year and sophomore year almost together because you had very similar seasons. You end up going 22 low in the 50, both seasons. And then you ended up going 48, zero freshman year and 47, seven, 47, eight, your, your sophomore year. So it wasn't like a huge improvement there. So what was that like coming in and swimming fast freshman year and then not really getting much faster sophomore year? Um, I think, I don't, I think that my sophomore year was kind of weird just cause like your freshman year, you come in, you work really hard. Cause especially at Auburn, they make sure that freshmen know your spot is not guaranteed just because you're wearing Auburn on your back does not mean that you are an Auburn swimmer you have to earn every single thing that you get here. So I think freshman year, you work really hard. And then my sophomore year, I think I kind of like rested on knowing that I had put all that work in. Um, and I, I think my sophomore year at SECs, I won the hundred fly randomly. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of what like kickstarted my junior year, like training hard for going into my junior year. I also think um, after going into, like after my freshman year, I kind of had like the, well, I'm cool. I'm an Auburn swimmer now. I was on the SEC team. I'm good to go. We almost won SECs. It's going to be a great sophomore year. So I think I kind of like reined in my, my eagerness. Um, and I rested on like what I had done my freshman year a little bit. Yeah. Well then, then like you said, junior year, you have this massive leap. So you go from 22, three in the 50 to 21, three, and then 47, <laughs> seven, to uh breaking the ncaa record and going 46 8 were you the first person under 47 in history um i think so i so it was not i know it was an ali coughlin's yeah. record and it was 47 0 0 but i think that she had maybe been a 46 9 outside of college i can't outside of college yeah i think you're right that's what it was and you know no one inside of college had done it because yeah her record was 47 0 and it stood eight years but i think once she left college she, she definitely went faster yeah but i yes, think she so. went like a 46 9 
and that was the U.S. Open record, maybe or something. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, obviously, the massive leap in the fifty—you drop a, a full second, and then you drop uh, a full second in your hundred, and, and and first person under forty-seven. So, what was the difference between sophomore year and junior year? Do you think? I had you as a coach. <laughs> well, that's true. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, I I think it was that I kind of saw. Um, I think summer like the summer of my sophomore year, um, I had a, like a Caribbean meet that I went to and I kind of saw what I was capable of doing. And I knew that I had it in me to go faster. Um, and I wanted to work harder and I wanted to be faster and, um, learning how to be stronger in the weight room, um, implementing all of that stuff into my training as well, I think was like the game changer. It's really hard. I think for females when you're surrounded by, um, I don't know, how do I wear this? When you're surrounded by like other girls that think that lifting is just going to make you big and bulky and look like a man, it's really hard to kind of go out of that and to be like, no, I realize that this is what's going to make my swimming better. Just because I get bigger and because I lift stronger does not mean I'm going to look like a man. That's not how it works. I hate that thought that girls have. Um, and I, so I think like my junior year, I really started to like crush it in the weight room, dry lines. We, I was going as hard as I could. I think my junior year was the year that um, we did the Tour de France during our um, dry land. So everybody had like a goal. You were, you got the jersey if you were the best scoring the past dry line. So like all of that stuff, being competitive, working harder in the weight room, in dry land, in the pool, I didn't want to lose. I was not going to lose. So. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, you, you had, um, a real, you know, I don't like to say, but the, the men, are a lot more aggressive in their competitiveness, you know, women tend to kind of hold it in a little bit where you weren't afraid to kind of wear it on your sleeve and show everybody how competitive you were. And you, you definitely bought, um, a mentality every single day that was like, I am going to be the best. And, and, and if I'm not, I'm going to figure it out real quick. Uh, is that something that you are conscious of? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I tell people all the time that I'm grateful that I chose a program like Auburn where the men and women train together because I remember specifically being in sprint practices with the men and getting to a point where I was like, okay, well, I'm the fastest girl, so I'm going to beat some of these boys. I'm going to I'm going to pick a boy and we, him and I are going to race. And I remember um, several times just being like, hey, you over there, whoever it was, I'm coming for you and let's go. So, um, just like, I think, I think it was you that said, if you want to train to be the best, you have to beat the best. So if I was the best female, I'm having to beat the men because that's the next step. So, um, I think I kind of started to train more with the men towards the end of my tapering into junior years, SEC and NCAAs, and then my full senior year. I'm interested in this. I, I want to talk to anybody that does something for the first time in history, especially break a barrier, like a barrier, like 47, zero, all these women, you know, are swimming at this level. And then all of a sudden Natalie Coglin brings it down to 47, zero. And everyone's like, wow, that's, you know, that's almost 46. It's almost a barrier. So when in your mind, did you start to believe that the, that you could be the one to break this barrier? It wasn't, it wasn't when you saw the time you must've dreamt about it before then. Yeah, um, I think I remember, um, I think it was like my freshman year, Caitlin Geary and I tied and broke the Auburn record at the time, which was like a 47 something. Mm -hmm. And I remember since like after that moment thinking I can go, I can go under 47. I know for a fact I'm able to go under 47. 
And so I don't, for me, I feel like I never saw it as like a boundary. I think boundaries are super interesting because like once one person does it, everybody can do it all of mm -hmm. a sudden. So like now if you look at women swimming the 100 freestyle, it takes a 46 to make the NCAA final basically, which is insane to me. Um, and so I think I looked at it like I know that I'm able to do it. And I, you and I worked together and we were like, okay, what are the splits that I have to do? What do I need to be turning at, at the 50 to be capable of going a 46? And I remember going into SECs, I wasn't even tapered um, and waking up that morning and being like, I'm going to go for it. We're going to, I'm just going to go for it this morning and <laughs> broke it. And then I think that night I was like, mm. wow, yes, I can do this. And I ended up going the exact same time because I tried way too hard. So um, I think it was just interesting being able to like figure out how, what steps we needed to take to get there. And then learning that I can't try very hard to do it. It has to be like an easy speed sprint freestyle. That's interesting because I had, I had this conversation with somebody last night. We were, we were chatting about, um, you know, doing anything. Anytime you do anything that's your best, you, you can barely remember how you did it because it just comes so easily and becomes so nat it comes so natural. And those times that you try really hard are the ones that you really remember. They really hurt. You get out of the water and you start questioning everything. It's like, what? Yeah. But, the, you know, so why is it that, you need to be relaxed in order to swim fast. I think um, if you put, I always think of it as like, if you put too much pressure on yourself, everything in your body just tenses up. And that's mm. not when your muscles are going to do fire at their best. So mm. when you're relaxed and you're just doing what you know you're capable of, your muscles are relaxed. You Swimming is really just a muscle memory kind of sport, especially sprint freestyle. If you put way too much effort into it, you're going to go nowhere. You're just going to keep spinning. Um, and so I think a lot of times when you don't think about it, you kind of just let your body take over. Those are the best swims I've ever had. If I'm in a hundred freestyle, if I think too hard, especially long course, that first 50, the second 50 is a disaster. But if I, it's like, if I just let myself do what I know I'm capable of, it's way better. So I think it's just like about like being tense and tight versus like relaxed and ready to go. Did you, uh, I mean, how tall are you again? Five, six? <laughs> I'm five, six. I'm a shorty, short, short. Five, six. Well, that's, you know, that's what I mean. Like I always, when I, when I, when I was swimming, I was swimming against really big men, Gary Hall Jr., Alexander Popov. And I'd look at them sometimes and feel less than, you know, I'd look at them and like, I'm not that big. I'm not that strong. I'm not that powerful. I got to figure this out. So what was it about you that gave you that tenacity that, that made you believe that you could swim faster than anyone in history and also beat these really tall girls that you're racing against? I think I, um, I, I don't subscribe to that. There's a specific body to be fast at swimming. Um, I mean, I, obviously there's not a lot of black swimmers and we're able to get out there and do it. So I don't think my height had anything to do with it. I made it a point to be as strong as I possibly could be. Um, and that was what I was going to do. And I was going to make my start as best as it could be. And I was going to make my strokes as best as I can. And just because I'm racing against like the Campbell sisters who are six foot, who knows what, um, and still were faster than me, but just saying, um, <laughs> just because they're tall, doesn't mean that they're necessarily better, any better than me. They have a couple inches. Cool. I'm going to still go as hard as I can. So I don't think that I hate it when people are like, well, I'm short or, well, my legs are not as long or my torso is really short. Like, I think that those are just excuses for not putting the work in, in my opinion. 
They are. Well, let's talk about pressure because the following year, your senior year, um, you you did go 21-3 junior and then you broke this barrier in the 100. So now all of a sudden there's this talk of the next barrier, which is 21 seconds for, the, for a female swimmer. No one had ever done that before. And in the lead up to SECs and NCAAs the next year, there's a lot of talk that Ariana is going to be the one to break 21 seconds for the first time. And I could tell that over time, the more people started to talk about this, the more pressure started to build up on you. And I could, I could start to really see it in you. Did you notice it in yourself that something was building like that? Um, I think hindsight's twenty twenty. in that case. I don't think I, I, I don't think I was like old or mature enough to understand what that was like. Um, I definitely think coming out of NCAA as my senior year, I could definitely look back and say, I put, I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that I don't really give a crap what other people think I'm capable of. It's what I think I'm capable of. And if I put too much pressure on myself to achieve my goals, it's not, they're not going to happen. So um, I think for sure, just looking back, do I think I was capable of going under 21 from a flat start? Absolutely. Did I? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my, um, just like NCAA order, the 50 freestyle, I was going in easily supposed to win the event. And I think I came third mm-hmm. my senior year, which was devastating to me. Um, and so I remember like, kind of like the, the rest of the meet was just for me mentally was kind of like downhill. I was like, well, that was a crap race. This is how I'm going to end my Auburn career. My hundred freestyle is going to be terrible. If I can't have a good 50, there's no way I'm going to have a good hundred. Um, and I remember you and I sitting down on the morning of the hundred freestyle and you're like, I'm taking you out of the four by four prelim. I just think you need to rest. Um, we need to get out there and win the hundred freestyle tonight. And I remember in my brain being like, Oh no, he thinks I'm tired. I must be tired. I'm never going to be able to do this. Um, and then I remember diving in for the hundred freestyle. I can remember all of this. Like it was yesterday. Meanwhile, this was, when was that? Eight years ago. <laughs> um, but I remember diving in for the hundred freestyle and I had Megan Romano right next to me, who is, if you want to talk about tall girls, it mm. was a tall girl. Um, and I remember hitting the wall at the first 25 and being like, damn, she's going to beat me. And then in my brain, I was like, no, you're not going to give up. You're going to push. Even if you end up giving it everything you have in your soul and you lose this race, I would rather go down knowing that I tried than to give up right now. And that's like the last 75. I was like, I got to put it in. And that probably was the most exhausting race I've ever had in my entire life. I'm having this whole discussion in my head in 46, 47 seconds. <laughs> Insane. Well, that was the thing is like you were, you were at Auburn. So we're at home and there was all yeah. this pressure. And, and I just remember you having this relatively miserable meet you finished third in the 50 and just yeah. things weren't clicking and you're just you know you just were putting so much more pressure on yourself in the lead up to this hundred where you're the favorite in that as well and then you, you qualify i think you're in lane six is that correct yes i had yeah. a terrible prelim swim. yeah terrible prelim swim so i was like oh this is just going to end in disaster and then at night i'll tell you it's one of the very few times I can count on maybe two fingers times where I've actually cried after a race. It was that <laughs> and Caesar winning the Olympics in 2008. But, um, but I actually cried after that race because I saw you turn at the, tw- at the 75 and, and it was just all will at that point. It was like, oh, I'm yeah. like, bitch, I'm not losing, you know? And you just stuck your head down and fought like attacked the wall. And, um, 
and it was just a fight to get your hand on the wall and you and you did and I was I just started crying because I I knew you were having this miserable meet and then right at the very end you proved to yourself that I'm good enough to do it you know and it was it was such an incredible moment thank you yeah I mean I remember touching the wall and and I was afraid to look at the board because I was like shite this isn't like I'm not gonna like what it says and I looked at the board and I saw first next to my name and I was just like, <laughs> how? I don't know how I just did that. Um, but mm-hmm. I think what the, really that NCAA's, that experience for me was learning how to be, because I was a captain of the team at the time as well, and just learning how to put on a happy face in front of the rest of the team. Because I knew that the second I crumpled, everybody else was going to look at me and be like, oh no, if she's having a bad meet, that's not good for us either. So I remember messing around with the girls, laughing and joking. Meanwhile, I'm having like an internal meltdown um, and not happy about how my meat's going. So I feel like that it's crazy when people ask me like what I feel like I've learned the most from swimming. And I wouldn't say it's like being competitive or working hard. It's really like knowing how to help other people and how to energize other people, even when you are just inside crumbling. So um that's probably my favorite memory of my entire Auburn career was having the girls there and, and knowing that um, I remember like uh, Abby Duncan was in the locker room with us because we were at Auburn. So we were in our own locker room and I had um, the NCAA trophies in my locker because you get a trophy top eight, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I had them in my locker, but to me, none of them were successful trophies to me, but it wasn't what I wanted. And I remember her making a joke and she was like, that's such an Ariana problem to have so many in your locker. You don't have space for your bag. And I was like, haha, yeah, it's such a problem. <laughs> um, and for her to be like, that's so cool. And for me, it was like, this is terrible. I'm so angry that I have a third place trophy in there. Um, so like learning to like balance that was a really cool experience for me. You did. You, like I said, you were as competitive as anybody that ever came through the program. So where did that come from? Like, have you always been that way or is that something that developed over time? Um, I mean, I think I've always kind of had it in me. I don't think I really turned it on until probably my junior year. I think I kind of always was like shied away from being super competitive. I mean, I think in high school, if you ask people that once I kind of got a little bit faster, if you ask people that trained with me, they'd probably say I was pretty competitive. Um, I just hate to lose. I hate, I hate to not give it everything that I have. And I hate the feeling of giving it everything you have and still not being good enough. So it's working hard so that you are good enough. Um, And I think that that's a problem that a lot of swimmers deal with. And a lot of athletes end up dealing with is you work your butt off and sometimes it's still not good enough. And you have to like kind of learn the difference between like, you worked hard, you did everything in your power. That's the best that you can do. And did you work hard enough? Were there things that you could have changed to be a better athlete? Probably. Could that have changed the outcome? Probably. So I think like, that's like what a lot of athletes deal with that I've talked to. Well, then we go, you know, you and I and Lionel um, Moreau, you know, we go to the Olympics in 2012. And like I said, there was, there was 27, athletes from the Bahamas and 26 of them ran track and and you're out there alone. It was just kind of the three of us, you know, touring around the Olympics together. (laughs) So, so uh, uh, did you really give yourself a chance to, to make the final? Like you're coming, you're coming from the last Olympics, you're going 28th and 24th and here you are. I mean, you're a fast swimmer, but you've got no support, no one around you. 
at, you know, how did you put yourself in a position where you could make the final? Um, I think the, my London journey kind of started uh, the year before going to Shanghai world championships. And I think I made semifinals or finals of that meet. I can't even remember now. Um, but I remember like having that instance happen and saying, huh, I'm, it, I'm competing against the exact same girls next year. I'm totally capable of doing this. And I remember kind of like the lead into the Olympics. I kept getting faster. I kept swimming um, faster times. I vividly remember the Bahamas desperately wanted to qualify a 400 <laughs> four by one freestyle relay. <laughs> And every opportunity we got, we were trying. So I got a lot of practice swimming on freestyle. Um, and so I think that's what kind of like really helped me learn how to compete at that level, get comfortable racing long course, be excited about what I was capable of. I remember just like every time I got in the pool, I was going faster and faster and faster. So um, I think that and like having you there with me, um, my hundred freestyle was like, okay, at, in London, but no, we knew going in that my 50 was probably going to be the better one. So um, I, I remember um, Flo Manadu had won the night before mm. in the lane that I was going into that next night. And I remember you stood behind the blocks and you're like, okay, here we go. She can do this. The energy's in this lane. And I truly, I mean, I, like, in my brain, I was going in to win. I didn't, but I think I, I probably had it in me. Did I swim a perfect race? Probably not. Oh, well. Well, you swam, you swam amazing just to get there. I mean, the first first swimmer in history to make an Olympic final from the Bahamas in swimming is pretty incredible. And I will say this. I haven't had this discussion with you, but I did notice a little bit of intimidation when we walked into the ready room for the finals. You know, the, all the best girls in the world were there. I mean, you were racing the best of the best and girls who had many Olympic medals to their name. And, and I could sense a little bit of intimidation at that point in time. Did you feel any of that walking into the ready room? Oh, 100%. I felt like I was like a child in an adult workshop. I okay, felt good. like... Because I never said that, but I kind of <laughs> got that feeling that that's kind of how you were feeling a little bit. I just... For me, it was like, first of all, I'm coming from this small country. I felt... I was like, these girls probably are like, who is this girl? And how did she get... Is she lost? Does she know like where she is? Um, cause like, that was like my first interaction with a lot of those girls was making that final. And so mm. I remember just being like, oh boy, I, they just threw me into the lion's den here. So I, I mean, I probably could have had a little bit more confidence going into that. Um, I remember we had that, uh, Brian Kane come in and talk to us and he was like, you got to fake it until you make it. And so for me, I was like trying to fake it. I was trying so hard to fake it. And I think I did a great job until I walked into the ready room and I mm -hmm. saw those girls and I was like, Oh crap. So, yeah. Okay, good. Cause, cause I felt the same thing and I didn't want to say <laughs> it cause I wasn't, I wasn't going to throw you off your game, but I felt the same thing for you. Cause I could see in your body language, you know, and yeah. as a coach, I'm thinking, shit, what do I do here? Like, how do I get her back into Ariana who is ready to kill anybody? And I'm like, I, I have 30 seconds. There's nothing I can do right now. And I don't think there was anything you could have done or said. <laughs> no, there wasn't. Ben, but look, you, you swam exceptionally well, but I just know that if we had have, um, had different thoughts running through our head at that time, like 
kill these women, you know, it may have been different, but, but I could definitely see like a big gulp in your like, shit, I'm in the Olympic yeah. final. So what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that happens, you know, but, um, it is, a, it is a shame because, you know, I, I do think I, I saw you at your best and I, I honestly believe that you could have, you could have beaten anyone in the world um, when you were hungry enough to do it and believed enough to do it. And that's, that's kind of the what I'm trying to get at here with all of these, you know, I'm trying to understand like what, how do you get the best performance out of yourself? You know? Uh, and look, I, I had the very similar experience that you, that you had at the Olympic games. And then when I took, you know, and I took Cesar Cielo to the Olympics for whatever reason. I don't know why. It's the first time there. He's ranked 15th in the world. He looks me in the eye and he says, I'm about to win the gold medal. Like he, in his mind, he's, he's, he was ready to kill everybody. You know, it's like no one's stopping me. So I don't know what creates that sometimes. So I'm kind of fascinated in it. And you have this killer attitude of like, here's this five foot six girl. But then when she walks into the Olympic final for the first time, it's like, oh, I don't belong here. You know, so it's like, those things happen. And, I, and part of my discovery on this podcast is just trying to figure that out. So the next time, you know, Tokyo comes around, people have listened to various people talk and they can decide how they want to respond at that point in time, you know, but well, I would I think, think it, yeah, yeah, I always think it's super interesting when, um, I mean, a lot of American swimmers, when they make the Olympics for the team, it's their first time ever being at a big meet and they somehow are able to compete at the highest level and come home with medals. So I think it's, um, I, I don't know what the answer is. If you figure it out, let me know. Cause I always thought it was incredible to watch, um, you know, people like Katie Ledecky who went into her first international meet and no one could have told her that she wasn't going to be the best in the world and not just the best, but like blow everybody out of the water. Um, I, well, honestly, know. it's the, it's the, it's, it's my experience that I had with Cesar Cielo, you know, um, no one had ever won an Olympic gold medal in Brazil's history. And Brazil's got a big history of swimming, you know, no one had ever won a gold. And for whatever reason, this guy's looking me in the eye and saying, I'm about to win the gold medal. Like he, he just had this conviction and, and you walking into the ready room had a very similar response to me of like, Oh shit, I don't know if I belong here, you know? So like, it's really the thoughts that are going through your mind at that point in time, physically you're ready, you know, you're as good as anybody because you've proven that time and time again, NCAA is when it's when you want to win you find a way to win so like we've all had those experiences and I had those too but there are moments where you're under the most pressure where everything counts the most and whatever your fit, mental response is at that point in time tends to create a physical response in you so mm -hmm. if you think to yourself I don't belong here you, you tighten up immediately Caesar Cielo says I belong here. Not only do I belong here, I'm going to destroy these guys. I'm going to win this gold medal. He has this physical response of like power, you know? So yes, it's, it's individual. Um, it's a very, very hard thing to coach. I don't think I coached Caesar into it and I don't think I necessarily coached you out of it necessarily. It's just, it's, it's how you respond physically at that point in time when the lights are right here and the crowd is right there and all the expectation is there how are you going to respond personally? But I do think that you have to try and prepare for that because if yeah. you just go to it and you're not, if you're completely unprepared, then you're done. You don't have a chance. You yeah. Have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting. Once I retired from swimming for the third time, um, I, I think I, 
what I've learned a lot is it's crazy. And I'm not sure if other athletes do this, but swimmers, for whatever reason, we probably train the most out of any other sport. But when you get behind the blocks, it's like you are not ready at all. And for whatever reason, swimmers just talk themselves out of being prepared. And I've always found it so interesting to hear girls say, well, what if my taper's messed up? I'm like, that doesn't matter. It's like taper is not this magical thing that happens to your body and you're automatically going to go fast. I've seen people go insane times in season, not tapered. Mm -hmm. I mean, myself, like I've swam faster at SECs when I'm still training really hard. And then I go into NCAAs and I don't swim nearly as fast. So like taper is not necessarily magical. It's your body resting, but it's not going to change these things. So I just, I think part of like the swimmers mentality, I, I feel like I see it a lot more in females than I do in males. Um, I don't know if that's true, but for whatever reason, we get behind the blocks and we're all of a sudden like, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be fast. This is going to be a terrible swim. Um, they watch like their teammates race and their teammate goes slow. So then automatically that means you're going to go slow. I just, it's, it's so strange when it's such an individual sport that you can't look back and say, I've put in all this work. I know that I've done these practices. I know that I'm ready to be fast. Um, and I feel like if I had, if I had been able to kind of think about that versus thinking about outside things that I can't control. I can't control who else is in the pool with me during this 50 freestyle. What I can control is I've done all the practices to make myself go a 24 low in this 50 freestyle. I've done everything that it takes to do to be the fastest girl in this pool. But instead I was like, Oh man, I'm tired. And these girls, they, they, they have everything that they need. They have their country here behind them and blah, 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 excuse, excuse, excuse. And I feel like that's kind of the difference that I've seen, even like in age group swimming to the most elite swimmers. It's like that it's that sometimes what gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, I agree. And, and I think it's something that all swimmers, current swimmers need to think about before they get to that moment, because it's, you're going to be faced with it. It's going to, it's going to rear its ugly head and you're going to have to make a decision at that point. Do I belong here mm-hmm. or, or do I not? And, and uh, certainly the response that I got from Caesar at that point was not only do I belong, but I'm, I'm going to dominate. And, and that's how he responded. It was pretty incredible to watch. Um, did you feel at that time, or do you feel now looking back that, you know, you were kind of a trailblazer for, for young black women, like uh, Simone Manuel, like, do you, do you feel proud that you were kind of, they're doing what you're doing and then seeing what she's doing now? Um, I feel like at the time I didn't see myself as that. I think kind of looking back, I, I benefited from the fact that when I was coming up, it was also Simone was coming, Leah, Natalie Hines were all kind of right behind me. The year after I graduated, the three of them went one, two, three in the 100 freestyle at NCAAs, which I think was like absolutely crazy to see three black females on the podium. So mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time I didn't really see myself that way. I think I kind of look back and um, I've had little girls come up to me and say, you're the reason that I'm swimming. I remember watching you race. And that's what means a lot to me. Cause I'm like, I'm washed up. I'm old. Nobody knows who I am. Um, so to have like people come up and say, you're the reason my daughter is in the sport, whether they're black, white, orange, yellow. Um, that's, I feel like that's what I did it for. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. You, you definitely, definitely a role model and they should look at you and your career. And, um, it's nice to see you still in swimming. Um, were you comfortable with the way it all ended in, in the end? Were you, you, when you knew it was time, that was it? Um, 
Yes and no. Um, I mean, if you follow my story, I retired basically three times from the sport, kind of. Um, and so the first time was after 2012. I was done. I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, I was disappointed in myself for exactly what we just talked about. Um, I knew what I was capable of. And I. it's hard to say to people, oh, you went to the Olympics. Did you come back with a medal? No, I was eighth which like is still really cool eighth in the world. But for me being a competitive person, I, that's not good enough. It's, you don't get an eighth place medal or a trophy. So, um, so after that, I came back in 2013 um, and trained again, wanting to go to Rio because I knew what I was capable of. And Rio was just, I mean, 2016 as a whole was a terrible season for me. Whatever got in my brain, um, I was practicing great. And as soon as I went to a meet, I was swimming like, poop utter shit um and got to rio and made the semi-final by god's grace in the 50 freestyle i don't even know how um and i remember walking out of the after the semi-final i didn't see the board so i didn't know what time i went um and walking through the press whatever trying to get out um and lionel was my coach that year and getting out to lionel and looking at him and asking did i make the final and him shaking his head and i just like collapsed because to me i was like i trained for another three years to do worse that's terrible mm. um and so i can't i was like i'm never touching a pool again i hate this sport it's so dumb um <laughs> and then <laughs> started i moved back to auburn to be the director of operations watched all of the kids swim at Auburn and saying and realizing like how much I missed the sport. Um, and so going back into the sport for a third time um, and training and I got to a point where I was like, actually, I'm really happy with what I did. Maybe I didn't get that Olympic medal. Maybe I didn't um, achieve the times that I thought that I was capable of, but I did some things that for the Bahamas and for myself that people hadn't done before. And so I was able to walk away knowing that I put everything that I could into it. And that was my story. And so I'm, I'm happy now at the time, it was a lot harder of a decision for me to make. Um, but I've definitely come to terms with it. That was a long winded way of saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I loved coaching you. I thought you were, you were incredible to, to watch. Um, it was fun to put you on a relay and, and watch you swim past girls too that was, that was always cool but um i'll leave, i'll give you the last chance to have a stab at me what did what did you like about me coaching you and what did you hate about it me coaching um i guess part probably what i liked and hated at the same time was the expectations you put on me i liked that you put expectations on me and sometimes it was like i'm not capable of doing that you would give me sets and times and be like this is the time you're gonna go and i was like i cannot do that um but you pushing me to and giving me those times that I probably never thought I was capable of or probably what made me as fast as I was. So um, I will say, I'll leave us with this story. <laughs> um, doing a power set right before SECs and um, Jared White and Max Murphy kept getting in my way and I was losing my shit. And I remember you walking over and being like, boys, if you don't leave her alone, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and that was like my favorite moment because like the boys at Auburn, they were, a great team they always were swimming fast and so the women kind of always took a back seat and jared and max were being mean and like wouldn't let me on the power rack i don't remember but just having you come over and being like get out of her way she is going to work hard and she's about to do some crazy ass shit and i was like <laughs> bye so yeah 
Well, good. I'm glad I did that. Um, no, I love coaching you and you know, I loved watching you swim. I hated watching you swim for other people because I, I love coaching <laughs> you so much. So, um, but listen, I appreciate this. It's been awesome. Good insights here and uh, definitely a role model for, for any young woman and uh, especially young black women. So hopefully we get more in the sport and um, thanks for doing this today. All right. Thank you. All right. Peace. Take care.